Welcome to Church 213. The book of James is a powerful blueprint for authentic and relational faith. Written by the brother of Christ, this unique letter challenges the minds and hearts of a church at its best. Journey with us through this book for the rest of 2023. Thanks for listening. Man, what a special table that's been set before us. Amen, church. Man, I can't quit smiling. Can't keep smiling. Man, I don't know if you realize this, but this is a privilege. You know, we'll never be able to capture this moment again. Man, look at those. That's some warriors going on right there. Y'all pray for those Kidstown workers. Bless you. Lord, bless them and keep them. This is a privilege. Come on, church. Think about it. That we have to, to come together in this moment. We'll never get this moment again. Just to sit together and, and do the only thing that really we were created to do. And that is simply just to praise the Lord. That's why we were created, is to give the King the honor that He's due. We have a chance to come in here every single week and, and do just that. Man, this is the first Sunday of November. We were able to fall back a little bit, which means I get an extra hour to preach. Y'all better hold on. Everybody should be awake. And falling back, falling back. I don't know about you guys, but 2023, thinking about November, man, this year's almost over. Where has it gone? I don't know about you, but for me and my family, it's like 2023, we've been strapped to a rocket. Man, we just, just go and go and go and go. It's hard to believe that the year's almost over, which also means that um, the ministry year's almost over. And look at what the Lord has done right here in this place. Almost every week, we see death to life. We we're just keeping the water in the pool to God be the glory. Um, next Sunday night, Odom, the team's already plugged it. If you're a part of our faith family, you're a member here at Church 213, I want to invite you to be here at 5 o'clock next Sunday. We're going to transform this room into a banquet hall. We've got a fantastic lineup of just, just talking about what God's done this year. What he's done this year, what, he's, what we've seen him do, what we believe he's going to do for 2024. We're, we're, looking, we're looking here and we're looking forward. Church family, God has done some significant things in this place the last 45 weeks. Don't take this for granted. Will Roberts said it last week. The Lord is upon his people. And that ought to giddy up on that ought to, you know, that ought to put some giddy up on, on Sunday morning and say, Lord, what are you, what are you gonna do this week? What are you going to do when the people come together and, and we're moving to the last lap of 2023? And, and here, here's the desire, y'all, for, for me and for my family and for this growing faith family is simply to uh, just to grow in more maturity, grow up a little bit in our faith, to, to grasp all that God is for the purpose of this, that we would just see the finer things of God while there's still time. Lord, Help me to see the finer things of you while I have the opportunity for a time such as this. Hey, I want to be honest. I want you to realize that every breath that, that we take is borrowed. And that, that breath that you just took right there, you, you are, we are never as close to standing before the Lord, giving account for the life that you've lived for Him or against Him than that breath that you just took. And that is a sobering reminder. I don't have to tell you life is, life is a vapor. I want you to know this, that we're, we're also 
Never as close to the promised return of Christ for His children than today. The return is imminent, which means it's here. It's upon us. We don't know when, but it is upon us. It's, it's imminent. One glance at the news, y'all. One glance at the news and you can see that, that God's people, the disdain for God's people and, and, and God's mission, this, this, this disdain, the hate for God's mission, it's just ringing out. It's raging. All the nations are raging right now. Which means he's arranging the Middle East to face the only hope that is Christ the King. There's some plowing going on right now in this world. We better hold on, church. There's some serious plowing. God is separating and he's sifting. He is calling and he is calling. Come on, church. And, and, and I want you to know that those, that, here's what I'm seeing. Those that have ears to hear are hearing. And those who have hearts that are cold are becoming colder by the day. And right in the middle of it all, Christ commissions this group of people. A mighty force built on his character to be ambassadors until he calls us home, the church. Now, I got to unbutton this. It's getting pretty. The Lord has planted us in this in-between space as he is sifting, as he is, as he is culling, as, as he is calling. So the question that I want to put on the floor this morning is how do we make the best with the rest? How are we going to make the best with the rest? The rest of the time that we've been given, I don't know if it's the next breath or until the return happens. How do we make the best with the rest? And, and, uh, and I just have been laboring over that for, for a month. You know, when you, when you roll out of a series, you, know, you begin to kind of think about where you're headed and you begin to pray, Lord, what does our church need? Where, where are we? What, what would you have us know? I don't Google things very often. I like to just seek the Lord and say, okay, where are we going? You just say, well, get in here. Dig it out. Because wherever I'm going to take you, I've already been and I've prepared a place for us to go. And so there's a particular book in the Bible that, that God confirmed to me over the past few weeks as we as a church body need to spend the rest of the year in going through. So, so it's simply this, we can end stronger than we began. We began strong. And we rolled, we rolled right into, we rolled right into 2023, um, talking about being disciplined. And we are to discipline ourselves for godliness. And we've seen through that discipline, and God has continued to do a work every single week. So, so I don't want us to just, I just don't want us to just coast into, um, into the holidays. Lord, don't let us coast. Y'all with me? And we're living, I'm talking about an urgent dependency. Don't let us coast. And so we're going to launch this series. I don't know where it's going or how long it's going to take us to get there, but we're going. We're going to launch it. We're going to be working through the book of James verse by verse with the simply, the, the, the sermon series title is just called this, A Church at Its Best. A Church at Its Best. That's us right there, y'all. Look at that. You see yourself? I think that's Chad right there. He's either praising the Lord or swatting fly. I think he's praising. I think he's giving Lord. That's us right there. Church at its best. A journey through James. Here's why: is because the time is now for us to dig into James. The time is now because this book is uh, is intensely practical. It's it's like a blueprint for Christian living. To to uh, to meet us. 
listen, I don't want you to miss it, at the pace and at the place that God has planted us. The, the pace and the place. Hear me, now is, now is not a time, to, a time to coast. What is it a time for? To contemplate. To contemplate and to consider Him. That's what we've been doing now for, for an hour and two minutes. We've been, we've been contemplating and considering the goodness of God. And as you've heard the testimonies, when you contemplate and you consider, man, I love what Aiden said, I've been thinking about it. You think about it long enough, God will show up and show out in your life. Because we were made to consider and to, and to, contemp, um, to, uh, to um, contextualize and to contemplate all the things that he's doing. And so all of us at some point find ourselves just kind of moving from place to place. All of us at some point have, um, have found ourselves on the interstate. I'm talking about, y'all with me, just those long drives on the interstate where it's just mile marker after mile marker after mile marker. I get why the interstate system was built in the 50s. It saves time, right? You know, it, it, helps, us, it helps us get where we need to go. But here's the thing. In the search for speed, we, we forfeit the chance of seeing natural, authentic beauty. And the interstate's boring. It, it's mundane. You have these long stretches of nothing but concrete and, uh, and mile markers and tire debris, guardrails, injury law firm billboards, one after the other after the other, all the same guy's face on it. What is up with that guy? But every now and then, in the median, you'll see these signs that, that say this, do not mow. Y'all seen them? Do not mow. See, here's the thing. The DOT is, is letting the maintenance department know that there's something in that ground that needs protecting so that something beautiful can be seen. So there's signs that say, hey, there's something here you need to contemplate. Here's, there's something here you need to consider. And so they put these signs up, and what is protected there in the medium are the wildflowers. I mean, you've been going, you know, you've seen them just going down the interstate, and you see just the tire debris, and you see all the cars and traffic and tractor trailers, and the kids won't be quiet. And you're like, how much longer? And then right in the middle of all of that, poof, this beautiful pop of color. And it changes the journey, doesn't it? It changes the journey. Because those pops of color in the most unexpected places are between the walls and the wires and they grab my attention and they grab your attention. Here's the thing, it reminds me that in the middle of the weeds and the waiting, somebody had some forethought to bring out the natural beauty and the potential of the land. And that brings me a lot of joy. So with that thought in mind, there's forethought. Someone has some forethought to how to bring out the natural beauty and potential of the land. It kind of takes us right into the book of James. A journey through James. Let's stand together. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James. Here's the thing about the book of James. It's a book about authenticity in the church. Um, it's a crowd favorite a lot of times. It's, it's easy to follow. Despite being planted in the middle of the world, 
What James does is it's a, it's a, it's a magnifying glass for genuine salvation. It's a magnifying glass of what's naturally planted there in this thing called the church. And so James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, because we're preaching through the book of James, that's where we're going to start right here. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings, verse 2, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, talking to the family, mama and them. Whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Verse 4, and this is as far as we're going today. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking, we'll say it together, church, nothing. You guys can be seated. Just four verses right there. Just four verses. I mean, th these four verses right here, they, uh, they pack a punch. So if we're going to be a church at its best, if we're not going to just coast all the way to December 31st, if we're going to be able to contemplate and consider and make much of Jesus, here's some takeaways. The first thing is this. A church at its best has some things. It has a calling from God to commitment. I'm talking about a blueprint. A church at its best has a calling from God to commitment. Look at verse 1. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad greetings. Every word has intentionality. I want you to know that this right here is a letter. A letter, it's an epistle. Epistle just means letter. There's other epistles in the New Testament uh, most of them written by the Apostle Paul for specific theological reasons, but not so much here in James. This, was, this is far more practical. It's not why you build the house, it's how you build the house. Are y'all with me? So it's a biblical blueprint for, for unity and for ethics. Those are our core pillars here at 213. Doctrine is our bedrock. Unity is is our glue. Ethics is our power, and Jesus still saves. It's those, it's those four things that we revolve our ministry around, and our hearts around, and, and, uh, and our strength around. And so what we see right here is James was written very early. I'm talking about probably the, the mid-40s AD, which means this is fresh. I'm this is 10 years from Jesus. Are y'all with me? This is, this, is, this is right out of the oven, which means likely this is the very first book in the New Testament that was written. And James making it clear that, that who he is and, and why his words are important in this new community called the church. And so he's, he's not really focusing on a lot of what, what we see in Paul, Pelinian theology and laying out the doctrines of salvation and justification and, and sanctification. He, he is right off of all of those things of the teachings of Jesus and he's writing to these believers very practical things. And right here in verse 1, James makes it clear that this, that this letter isn't junk mail. Man, I hate junk mail. We could afford some stuff if they wouldn't stop mailing us so much junk mail. Stamps wouldn't be 82 cents a piece. They're not, but sometimes it feels like they are, right? 
How many times? Sometimes we'll go out to the church mailbox and, and, and everybody on our staff has a Uline magazine. It's this thick. You open things and, and it's just, it's just uh, junk after junk after junk. And you know, when you write a letter to somebody, you want them to not see it as junk mail. And so you make it personal. You might say, hey, bro, or text. You might say, you know, uh, a pet name. You might hey, say, hey, friend. You may call them by, you know, a nickname. Because what you don't want them to do is look at it and just rip it up and throw it in the mail like it's file 13. You're intentional about it. And so right up front, he makes it clear who he is. He says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right up front, he gets it out there. Here's one of the neat things about verse 1. James knows that people know him. He didn't have to fluff his credentials. He's not dropping names. He's not laying out a long list. He's not trying to get some type of buy-in for what he's about to say to the church community. He knows people know him. So who is he? James. Okay, so, so many times in the New Testament you'll see people with different names. But really there's only two notable men named James in the early church who was prominent enough to have penned such an authoritative letter that could, that could get people's attention by only using his first name. Let me bring this home to you. Kirby. Okay. See, I don't have to lay out credentials, right? I just have to say a name. He's the only one with the authority to carry such name. Jordan. Doesn't have to, doesn't have to list all the championship. Doesn't have to list everything. Elvis. Needs no ticker tape to draw a crowd. Are y'all with me? And so we know this is, this is one of two people. This is either James, the son of Jebedee, the brother of John, or this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Same mom or different daddy. He had brother, Jesus had brothers, half-brothers and sisters. Well, also what we know is, we know it's not... John, the son of Jebedee, because we know that Herod Agrippa martyred him before this letter was ever written, which means the only other person that has the authority to be able to call himself by name is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And so knowing that, man, Jesus lived with James. He grew up, they grew up together. They shared meals together. They shared toys together. They shared a mother's womb together. And even though Jesus said who he is, and even though James rejected him early on, doesn't mean God still didn't have a work in James's life. This is a lesson. Listen, Jesus can be right in front of some folks around you, but, but their hearts can still be blind to the truth. We can't illuminate someone's life to the truth of the gospel. We just live it out. We just be who God has called us to be. There, there's no real saving faith. There's when you those people around you, there's, there's only a false view of counterfeit ideas of what they've heard the Bible has said. There, there are people like that all around you. All around you. I like to call it TikTok theology. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Because people are entitled to their own opinions, but listen, they're not entitled to their own facts. This is the bread of life. These are, the, these are the scriptures. This is, this is truth, and truth has a source, and it's the inspired and errant word of God to you and for I, so that we would know the Father's heart. And so if you've given your heart for belief and to saving faith, 
Man, I pray you never get over when God called you to himself. And never get over the day God called your name. The fearful possibility of missing out on salvation is a call to stringent self-examination. That's kind of the theme of what we're going to see in the book of James. It's the purpose. It's a church at its best. It's, 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 just, it's, just, uh, it's just who James knows that he is in his name. Here's a question for you. What do people think about Jesus and his church when they hear your name? Like if you just simply say your name in a group of, in a crowd, what, what would people have to say about Jesus and their church? The question is, would you have to list a bunch of credentials to try to clear that up? You know, you ever said something to try to clear it up with further explanation? That's not really what I meant. That was who I used to be. Or that's what I, uh, would you have to kind of meander around? Or would your name alone paint the picture that God would want? And so James, right up front, man, he lays it out. They know exactly who they know exactly who it is. He he was he was he was given his service to Christ. And that service, y'all, it created a reputation of respect, which gave him a platform to examine the church members on real commitment. He had lived it out. And so if he, you know, he's writing to this group of people that's that's being scattered from their homeland because their home was in heaven and and they're living these things out. And so he has all authority to try to, to say, hey, if it's real, it's going to be found tested. And it's going to be found right if it's real. You can test it. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this. Search me. This is, this is David's, David's just a cry of his heart. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concern. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. That's not just in the Old Testament. There's some stuff in the New Testament that says the same thing. Second Corinthians, Paul is saying, hey, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. James is writing to that end. A church at its best. He's examining because of who he is and who people know that he, that he is. He, he lived it out. It was real to him. Examine yourselves. There's nothing wrong with spiritual examination. Or do yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test. G James used this term 12 tribes to remind the first century believers how Old Testament saints demonstrate their salvation by, by lives of loyalty and faithfulness to the Lord. And so when he, when he said, hey, to the 12 tribes dispersed, it wasn't the actually the, the 12 tribes. He's, he's making an Old Testament and New Testament connection of, of, hey, just like these people that you know of that went out from the Old Testament and were found faithful under, under fire, you are to examine yourself to see if you're going to be purified in the fire. Examine yourself. See, once he came to believe that Jesus was Israel's Messiah, man, his, his, his zeal for Christ it put him as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. 
That's where it all went down 10 years ago. That's a tough place to shepherd. It's still a tough, a tough place to be a believer. And in the Middle East, it's always been because that's the temple by which heaven touched down and will touch down again. Why is that one little, me and Parker talked about that this week, why is this one tiny little sliver of land the focus of 8 billion people? It's because it's there that God will dwell with His people. It's there. And so because of his zeal and his faithfulness to live out what he knew to be true less than 10 years from the the resurrection, he was purposed to pastor right there in that place. He was the real deal because Christ had done a real work in him. He wanted to to see the proof in the pudding for everybody who said they were believers. And so he's writing to these people. It's, It's also possible that some of the people that he's writing to um, those believers that were scattered used to be a part of this church. And they're gone. They seemed authentic when they were there. Are y'all with me? They seemed authentic when they were there. But he wanted to remind them of what authentic salvation looked like as they were on the move. Let me be honest with you and say this. Y'all, it... It's tough for a pastor to hear someone say the gospel has radically changed their life and for them to say that God has called them to a church family to serve and to give and to worship and to proclaim the gospel and then our MIA three out of four Sundays. Y'all, that sits heavy. That sits heavy. A, a dispersion. James wasn't playing games at the foot of the cross. And he's writing to these believers living with, with, with a true and attested faith who were scattered. And so, yeah, he, he could have listed this long list of, of things that gather crowds around his letter. But he only listed one title. He listed himself as the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't junk mail. That's all he needed to put. They're not opening this in an inbox. They're not seeing this on TV. They're opening this as, as a letter. And so they're trying to rally whoever's carrying the letter would be rallying people around and say, it's a letter from James. James who? A servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he would build a crowd. You want to draw a crowd, you just platform Jesus. Jesus always draws a crowd. So that's what he says he was. He's He's a servant of the Lord of Jesus Christ. Some, some translations, maybe in your Bible, use the word a bond servant. I actually like that better. Not only is he a servant, but he's a bond servant. See, a bond servant in Jewish culture was the highest title you could claim. The, the, the Hebrew word is doulos. Doulos means bond servant. Doulos just, just means slave. But particular for, for, for doulos, it goes beyond that. It was one born into service. There was nothing greater than that for James. In fact, he could have listed all the other credentials in his life, but he only listed, y'all don't miss this, he only listed he was a bondservant. That was it. Man, what do you want to put? What do you want to put on your tombstone? You know, obviously there will be a little dash, but what about that obituary? As a pastor, you know, I walk with a lot of people through death, and sometimes I sit there as they list the obituary. 
And sometimes it's exciting because they're listing all the things they've done. But sometimes it's just relegated to, I like to fish. Right? Man, a, a legacy of life boiled down to, I enjoyed playing in the yard. Y'all were, were created so much more than that. It, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a life given to, to, to be a bond servant to the things of God, to, to live our life for His, for His glory. And John, James had committed because his calling stayed red hot all the time. See, listen, until serving God is enough to fill up your life, nothing else will. Unless the Lord is bond servant, You'll be bound to the things of this world, just going from place to place. But not for James. See, it's salvation. Remember, it doulos from birth. I'm talking about from his new birth. James became honored not for who he was as Jesus' brother, but who he served as the living God. You guys write this down. I'm talking about commitment. And it was red hot. Commitment is the calling to serve God. Is the primary credential to get the right attention for people. Hey, if you, you want to you be known, you want your name to mean something, you don't have to put it up as an injury law face on the side of the interstate. You just let the Lord be your bond. You need to be a bond servant to Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, your name will be made great for all the right reasons, for all the right people, because you've submitted yourself to his leadership. If you don't want to be spend, just sending out junk mail to people around you, be sure that you are living out the calling of God inside of you. And it's right there that what James does is, is he, he uses that in, 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 to, to, to launch into how a church is at its best. It starts with a calling from God for commitment. And but he goes on. He says, hey, to give a Christian confidence and to give a Christian strength and to give a believer hope to endure, he gives us a series of tests by which we can determine if what you say you believe is genuine salvation or just situationally convenient commitment. I'm talking about when the, when the going gets tough. You just have a convenient situational commitment or is it the real deal? So James lays this out. A church at its best has to consider with joy all trials. Let's read 2, 3, and 4. I'm going to start back in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings! Man, and then he goes right into it. I mean, well, where's the warm-up here? You know, no warm-up laps, no light stretches, no morning coffee. Man, he just, he just dives right in. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. This is probably not what they expected when they opened this letter. Get the greetings. This is going to be like a little soft on-ramp. And then, bam, it's right there in front of their face. So he has everyone's attention whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking what, church? Nothing. Lacking nothing. Consider with joy all trials. If we're going to be a church at its best and not coast for the rest of this year, yes, we have to, yes, we have to understand that a calling from God is to commitment. But then it rolls into we have to consider with joy all trials. He's like, it's me, James. Okay, we got that. Then after that, he says greetings. Greetings right here means gladness. It means rejoicing. It means delight. And I think that's interesting because what he's saying is what I'm about to tell you that you're going to face, what, what I'm about to say to get, get you ready for your commitment, I want you to be excited about it. He uses the word greetings. Whatever comes next, be excited because the outcome a lot of times will get us through the process. Amen. Are y'all with me? Knowing where you're headed makes the journey more bearable. Like, man, I know this is tough, but God, I know, I know where you said this is going to end up and it's going to be worth it. Good, bad, ugly, or sad. What James is saying is, hey, I want you to delight in having your faith proven true. Delight in it. And I get it, y'all. It, it, it's hard to understand the pieces unless you understand the whole. So that's why James says, I'm a bondservant. Greetings. Hold on. There was this traffic cop. And uh, he, was, he was known for a, for a unique greeting. Anytime he pulled somebody over and walked up to the car, here's what he'd do. He'd get out. He'd tip his hat. He'd easy. He'd ease up to the car. He'd, he'd be gentle and you know, they'd let the window down and he'd, he'd look into the driver and he'd say, Hey there, uh, first of all, I'm an officer that wants the very best for you. Man, how, how would you feel if that was the case? You get out, you know, you, you know, oh, you're busted. You know, you were. You're on the verge of a super speeder. You're begging God for mercy. And that cop walks up to, to the window, and that's what he says. First of all, I'm an officer, and I want the very best for you. What, what he means by that is whatever warning or punishment comes next flows from that motive. You ever had to discipline your, your kids, and you say, hey, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? No, it's not. Right, but but what you 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 preface these things because you want your kids to know that I know the process is hard to understand, but I promise you, I want you to to see the whole. I want you to know this: God is for you. God is for your kids. God is for your health. He's he's for your family. God's pro abundant life because he's jealous for the glory he deserves from the life that he has given you to live. And so everything that we face has a heavenly purpose. And so he says, I'm a bondservant. Greetings. You know the motive. It's to purify. Are y'all with me? It's to repurpose. It's to produce the life of Christ in us. And through us. Man, that's just a good prayer to pray. God, 
Christ in me and me in Christ. Every day. Christ in me and me in Christ. Let's say it together. Christ in me and me in Christ. One more time. Christ in me and me in Christ. Verse 2, he kicks it off. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking what? Nothing. And so James uses the word consider. I like to say it, look here. He says consider. The word consider right there, it just means to, to make it deliberate, to ponder, to study. And so he says, consider it all joy. That means all. That means not part, all. It just means pure, unmixed, complete, total joy. What James is telling these, these dispersed believers is deliberately study the full picture. Y'all with me? That's what he's saying. Deliberately study the full picture. There's times where my girls be like, Daddy, watch. Daddy, watch. Daddy, look. Daddy, watch. Come over here. Daddy, watch. And, I, and, and, and I'm looking right at them. Have you ever been looking right at your kids and they're still telling you to look? And sometimes I, I literally do this. I can't look. I mean, I'm right here. I'm right here. Look. Deliberately study. That's what James is saying. He's saying, hey, let's face being joyful. And let's understand that, hey, it's not natural. Being joyful is not natural. Is it? You want to prove it? Let them, let them close the right two lanes on I-20 right before Evan's meal. <laughs> the world will come unglued. See, we don't have to be excited. We don't have to be excited in it, but, but we are called to be joyful for it. And so James is like, you need to consider it. Consider it all joy. We, we, have, to voice, we have to force our, uh, our, our non-human response to obey the divine command, not for part joy, but for all joy. Y'all, I get it. That's easy preaching, hard living. I get it. I'm there with you. There's times where I just can't consider all of the parts. I don't want to really study it. And what James is doing is he's, he's speaking of a unique fullness of joy that God graciously provides His children. Listen, when they are willing and they're uncomplainingly able to endure troubles while doing what's right, no matter the cause or the type or the seriousness of the pain. You have to think about that because that doesn't come natural. To go through trials and consider it all joy. You got to anchor your mind on something. You got to be fixed. You may say, how can that be, Pastor? Pastor, how can I press on in joy when all I feel like I want to do is get off and run off, get, is, to, is to give up and run off the narrow path? I've been there. Some of you guys may there, be there right now. How, how can I stay here? Well, you can't. Because without a purpose for the feeling, you will want to quit. That's why we're not to blindly, joyfully go, go, go through life just trying to fake it till we make it. You can't. You faith it 
till you make it. That's what James is saying. You have to, you have to look at the, the whole despite the individual pieces. You have to consider it. You have to consider it all joy is a matter of the mind. And if you look right here, it says consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you uses a very interesting Greek word right there. No. Because you know. You see the intentionality right here? If you want to make it through the trial and turn, turn it and see what God is doing, you have to consider it and you have to know. The word know right here, it's a Greek word for knowing. It means full understanding of something beyond just some facts but knowing something in a personal way. Consider it all joy, knowing that there's purpose in it. So there's a difference between knowing about something and knowing something. Some of you guys, you know about my kids. You know, you, you know about Parker, you know about Emma, you know about Sadie. But some of you guys know them. You know, you rescue them. You take them home because they're tired of being here. You know them. You know them because you spend time with them. You know them because you, you talk to them on Wednesdays and on Sundays. You, you know them because you do life with them. Some know about stucco and what is. Some of you know the stucco and what is. Some of you know about Leslin Abbott's Cafe Grits. Can I get a witness? Some, but some of you know them because they've been on your taste buds. There's a difference. So here's what I'm trying to say. One, one sign of authentic conversion by the Spirit of God through the blood of the perfect Savior for the glory of God comes by His promise that after we have endured suffering and after we've endured affliction and after that we've endured testing, we have discovered that our trust in the Lord is not only intact, but is all the stronger in the testing. You know it. So you can, you, this, this helps you consider it. And the sign of salvation, listen, it's the endurance to press forward. Knowing God is not going to call His child to face something he's not prepared us by his power and his provisions to face. So we've got to step back and we've got to choose joy because we know God is doing something in our trials. What we know determines how we go. That's, that, that's just the long and short of it. What we know determines how we go. If God has really saved you, church, He will sustain you. The truth is in the endurance. Are y'all with me? It's evidence is what James is saying. With our endurance, we find our answers of assurance. And as believers on the run, we have to know that. Because when faith is... When faith is just an empty profession or, or worse, just like mere romanticism, not based on some firm, intelligent conviction of divine truth, the fire will burn that junk up. Just like that. 
the thorns of this world and the fires of this world and the trials of this world and the waves when they beat against your house. Some pie in the sky TikTok theology that you're just thinking, yeah, this might be. It will wash it all away. James is saying, James, a servant of God and the bondservant of Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that in the testing of your faith produces endurance. And you let endurance have its full effects that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So I'm going to give you a quick list, a few reasons that we we can know that there's purpose in the trials. Here's the thing. These will will prove your faith to be true, and it will keep you going. I don't know about you, but man, I don't want us to coast in the end of 2024. I want us to keep going. Run on, church. Come on, run strong, knowing this, that trials test our strength of faith. James said there's purpose in it. There's purpose in it. Trials test our strength of faith. So we often pray things like this. God, help me to know what's right. God, help me to know you more. God, show me what to do. Teach me something new today that I need to see in myself. And sometimes our prayers show up and show our weaknesses and our blind spots through a trial. It's oftentimes God gives you a trial to be the answer to the prayer that you pray over and over and over and over. Man, when I was at Georgia, I had, a, I had an early childhood development class that, uh, that I had to sit, and I, what I had to do was I had to uh, observe kids in, 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 in an on-campus daycare. I think their parents were teachers or whatever. So we, we went over, and it didn't take me long to discover um, and, and, and kind of get started watching these, these two little guys in there. It was a classroom full. They, you know, we were behind this hidden glass of you know, everybody had their notes, students. And they were just guinea pigs. They didn't even know it. But I, 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 st- I kept watching these two little boys, and, and one would run, and the other would try to run faster. And one would pick up something heavy, and the other one would try to pick up something even heavier. One would chase a little girl, and the other would try to, to tag her sooner. And the whole session was one kid testing the strength and the abilities of other. If you think about how God uses trials like that, what he'll, what he'll do, he'll, he'll allow trials into our lives so we have a, a reference point. Don't miss it. That we'll have, actually have a reference point for what's the weak places in our life and what's the strong places of our life. How, how you respond to the, to the heat will let you know if you're good in the kitchen or not. If you can't take the heat, what's the saying? Get out of the kitchen, but you got to get in the heat to test the skills. Sometimes God has to put you in the heat in order so that you can see those areas in your life that can only come to the surface after the heat has been applied. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. This happened with, with Moses, Exodus 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Man, that was a test. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Second Chronicles 32:31. King Hezekiah says, When the ambassadors of Babylon's rulers were sent to him to inquire about the 
miraculous signs that happened in the land, God left him to test him and discover what was in his heart. We see both situations. There was a test in the trial. Even Job, Job, Job 42. I'd heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And that's Aiden's testimony right there. Marquia, he told him about him. He had seen his eyes for himself. Therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. The only way that he came to that conclusion was through a test. They would have never understood the level of their faith without considering the test. Y'all, God's trials aren't punishments. I want you to hear me. We're his children. They're probes to show us where we're at because he's good. So what I want to say is take the test. Take it. Study it. Consider ourselves deeply while we're in the valley. God's got you there for a purpose. So sit in it. Consider it. Know his goodness. Something else. Trials test our humility. Man, I hope y'all are getting this. They strengthen our faith. They, they test our humility. Mike Tyson, when he was asked by a reporter if he was worried about Evander Holyfield and his fight plan, he said this, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Man, a test is humility. See, it's easy to, to let your thinking start to, to stink and, and, and believe that you are the cause of your own success. Man, isn't it, isn't it easy to think that? Man, is it easy to think you've arrived when really it's like, uh, like a little ant that's got to the top of a grass and they think they've made it. Look at us! The Lord's like, what are you thinking? It's just pride. That's what that is. Pride is, is, is height that's, that's too far. It's too stretched. Think like silly putty. You pull it apart and after a while it gets flimmed and it starts to crash in on itself. That's why pride leads to destruction a haughty spirit before a fall. You can only separate yourself from reality so long until the whole thing starts crashing in and you fall over. James, in, in verse 17, he says, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, down from the Father of heavenly lights, with whom there is no shifting shadow. Which means this, y'all. God is the source of your supply. And so when we face trials, we're reminded not to let our trust in the Lord turn into self-satisfaction. Because it's for the greater growth. It's for the greater growth. And we understand that the blessings from God flow from godly living. And that's where the enemy will attack. Don't miss it. The more Satan will tempt us to pat ourselves on the back from our accomplishments rather than the Lord. The enemy will sift you in your success. You start patting yourself on the back. You'll find yourself sore in all the wrong places. Because the enemy has come in and it's in the trials that we understand that it's the, it's the Lord that we plug into. It's the only place by His power, provision, and peace flows from Him. So it's in our humility and the trials that God has to put us to. Here's the hard reality. Sometimes our trials are the only way He can get through our hard heads that He is God and we are not. 
So he'll push us through the trials to show us if we have real faith because it pushes us to him. Last thing is this, takes us to a next level. Takes you to the next level. God doesn't want to leave you where he found you. Praise God, he loves you exactly where he found you. He loves you too much to leave you right there. Amen. He's always interested in taking you to the next level. I'm going to tell you, you go into any middle school weight room, you'll hear one question more often than not. Is this, how much you bench? You know, I think eventually you'll kind of grow out of that, maybe. But that's the, that's the question. How much weight can you push against under the test of gravity, knowing that guys are sizing you up, make you work harder, right? Why is it when you can be doing a little bit of work, but you get somebody around you, you just work harder? Because they're, they're pushing you to it. The awareness of God's presence, what does it do? It energizes us to take that next step. That's why it's important to have godly people around you. Because they spur you on. Man, you iron sharpens iron. Yeah, it gets a little hot sometimes. But that's okay. Because it proves real faithfulness. That's the important part about being a part of a church family. It's because you help everybody take that next step. You're working, you're working together. You're saying, come on. You look to your left and right, and you run with those people. And then those people look back and say, come on. And you take that next level. God is about taking us someplace that we've never been before. Man, I love what Dom said last week. He said this. He said, walking with the Lord seems slow, but one day you're going to look back and see how far you've come from where he picked you up. Man, that was good right there. I brought tears to my eyes because, y'all, it's, it's hard to see how far he's, he's brought you sometimes when you're looking left and right. Man, you look back and sometimes you look over the shoulder and you're like, Lord, man, look how far you've, look how far you've taken me from where you picked me up, whatever that situation was. See, in order for the Lord to use you in greater ways, you've got to be worked out. That's just the, that's just the basics. God has to work on you so that he can work out of you what's too much of you so that he can put in you more of him. You guys write this down. Taking the next hard step becomes easier because we're more confident that God is near. The Puritan Thomas Manton said it like this. I'll end with this quote right here. While all things are quiet and comfortable, we live by sense rather than faith. But the worth of a soldier is never known in times of peace. And so if we're going to be at our church at its best, I don't know, maybe it's today, maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's six months from now, maybe it's 600 years from now. We have to consider and know that trials, y'all with me? Almost finished. Don't lose it. You have to consider and know that those trials are a welcome friend. Consider all joy, knowing that just like Joseph, what may have been meant for evil against us, God means for good. And so may our calling in Jesus Christ be genuine. And may our trials 
be of thanksgiving, knowing that we are not, that trials, listen, they're not liabilities. They're privileges and they're benefits from a good, good father who wants you to be at your very best. So I'm simply saying, take the test and let it reveal in you what is real. Let's, let's stand together. A praise team's coming. That's the beautiful thing about the Word. The beautiful thing about the Word is just simply how it works. And so for a church to be at its best, what's God calling you to do? It's a simple question. What's the Lord want you to do because I am all about knowing that God wants to take to the next step to the next level working you out what is the Lord calling you to do the question is how long is it going to take you to do it you going to keep putting it off or are you going to be at your best now hey maybe it's maybe it's what's been revealed to you possibly is that for the first time you've got a real salvation, that you've truly repented and believed in the name of Jesus. You're preparing to live your life for His good purposes like, like Rory and Aiden did. You want to say, Pastor, I know what the Lord's calling me to do. The Lord is calling me to be at my best in Him so that this church can be at its best together. I need to make a decision. I need to let my public profession of Christ be known. Maybe you've raised your hand multiple times. Maybe you've, maybe you've been considering it. Maybe you know what God wants you to do, but you've just been continuing to put it off. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. What's God calling you to do? And how much longer are you going to put off doing it? Maybe it's a new commitment. Maybe it's a recommitment. Maybe it's a new commitment to, hey, listen, man, I've been, I've been slacking, but I want to run hard. I don't want to be, I don't want to be comfortable. And I don't want to coast the rest of 2023. The world is a dumpster fire. And I want to be on fire for the Lord. I want people to know that I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus. And I want to run my race for Him as best I can for 2023. And God's doing something special. It happens in here, in each one of us. Take us where He wants to go. Let's, let's pray together. Father, how can we be even more grateful for the privilege we have of just sitting under Your truth, Lord, and knowing in the midst of the most intense trials that you are using them to shape us and to mold us. Lord, you love us and you use us. You're making us more like the image of your son, Lord. What a mighty, mighty privilege. And I, I pray we never take it for granted as a church family. Father, I want us to be at our best. And I want us to be a church of full commitment. To consider the trials that we're facing. Taking the test as it's proving who we really are. Father, if there's someone in here that you've revealed their heart to them today that they, they've been lost, they've been separated from you, Lord, they've, 
the first time considering what it means to know you and to live for you and apply forgiveness that you have offered on the cross to their account before they stand to give a defense before you as, as our Creator, Lord. God, I pray that you would call them to a relationship. They would make that decision known in this place. Father, thank you for Aiden, for Rory, Lord, for opening their eyes to the truth of your gospel through the death and resurrection of your son. Lord, thank you for doing that. Bringing one that was dead to the trespass of sin alive again. What a gift. Father, I pray we would never take it for granted. We would see people in the midst of their trials. and We would be your hands and feet. Father, I pray for the rest of this series. Lord, I just ask you to use it to edify your name to the glory of the heavens. Verse by verse, change hearts and lives for your good purposes. Lord, we just lift our hands to you the next few minutes, giving you the glory that you're due. God, I pray that you would uh, just help us to focus. God, eliminate the distractions in our minds of what happens and what needs to happen after we leave this building, Lord. But capture our hearts again. One more time. Capture us, Lord. So that we can pour our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. The, the name above all names. Yeshua Hamashua. The Savior and Messiah. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Hey, our altar's open right here. If you want to give the Lord the praise due, you have a need. Maybe you want to make a decision. Maybe you want to commit your life to Christ. You step out, meet me right here. We'll have a gospel conversation. You can turn that page. You can be at your best. Maybe it's just a simple recommitment. I don't know. But what God, what does God want you to do? And how much longer are you going to put it off? I'm begging you don't put it off any longer.